do it real quick and then jump into some new stuff. Okay, so this week, get excited. Put a smile on your face. We're talking about sin. Yeah, everybody's favorite topic. I got come to church to talk about sin. Okay, here we go. All you people that are feeling like a little uncomfortable, that's okay. We're going to get after it. So I think this is going to take us two weeks. Uh, so just kind of set your, uh, your schedule. I think this is going to take us about two weeks uh, to go through this. Um, but the reason that uh, we need to talk about sin uh, in light of the cross is because we would probably all say, if I said, did, sin, did the cross have anything to do with sin? you would probably all say, yeah, it, it, it has a lot to do with sin. That, that sin is one of those kind of main factors in what happened uh, on the cross, right? You agree? We know that those two things are very closely associated, uh, but, but what I want to do then is, if we're going to be talking about the cross, I want to really understand uh, sin, because if sin um, was, was something that the cross dealt with, we need to know uh, what that is. Uh, and we need, to, we need to understand it. And I think that uh, certainly if you've been around just Western church long, you, you have a version of this. And I want to just make sure that what we understand as far as sin goes um, is, is clear and is, what is what's in the Bible. Okay? So this is the review from two weeks ago. Real quick, two weeks ago what we talked about is we talked about the intended human vocation. Okay? What that means is the job that humans were meant to do. Y'all, y'all with me? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. What was the job that we were meant to do? What did God create us uh, for? What is the job? And we, we ended up defining it from Second Peter, uh, I'm sorry, from First Peter chapter 2. Uh, we, that we found that the Bible defines a human vocation as a royal priesthood. So that's what we were created for. And we define that as a position of worship. So the royal priesthood uh, is a position of worship. And, uh, and there's, two, there's two parts uh, in that royal priesthood. Uh, the first is the royalty uh, I'm sorry, the priesthood aspect, which is the reflection of all of creation's worship back to God. That's the job of the priest, is to worship uh, God. It's a reflection um, of creation's worship back to God. And then the royal piece, is a, that royalty is about government. Okay, And so our job, the royal portion of our job, is to reflect God's justice and wisdom into the world around us. So we're kind of like this mirror, right? We're reflecting worship back to God and reflecting God's justice and wisdom uh, into every uh, area of our lives. So wherever you're at, that's your job as being part of the royal priesthood. If you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the royal priesthood to reflect worship back to God and reflect his justice and wisdom um, into the world, right? That's what God created us to do. We saw that in the book of Genesis as God gave Adam and Eve their job, right? You, you, You remember that part where we talked about uh, God saying to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and have, what was what is the word? It's a D word, have dominion, right? Authority, God gave authority and the idea was that in their relationship with God, they would steward the earth as God would, right? Because they were made in what? His image, you see it? So us being made in the image of God is tied to the purpose that God created us for, this, this royal priesthood. We're made in his image for that purpose. We're the only portion of creation that has been made in the image of God, and that's because we've been called to steward creation and reflect worship back to him, okay? So if that's human vocation, right, that's what we were supposed to do, that's what you're designed to do, um, then we have to see sin in light of proper human vocation, there's something about sin that breaks us from who God designed us to be, right? You understand? So sin has to be understood in light of 
what we've been created to do, who we've been created to be. But here's what I, here's, if I'm just saying, here's a survey of what I hear when I hear people talk about sin, here's some things I hear. Sin is, is the bad things that you do. Right? You hear that a lot? Like, if, is that kind of, maybe I'm just, I'm just going to give you a few things and maybe you go, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. Or that's kind of what I think. Let's talk about it. So the first one is that sin is the bad things that I do. It's me behaving badly. Okay? Um, sin is an inherited disease that all mankind gets because of Adam and Eve. And so Adam and Eve broke the rules. And that means everybody after them is going to break the rules. Right? And it results in bad behavior. And, and that's, that's what sin is. Unfortunately, sin in the church has been used to fuel a movement of self-righteousness. Uh, uh, you know, sin comparison. You ever seen that before? It's, and you may even do it in your own heart, your own mind, of comparing yourself. Well, how much sin do I have compared to that person? Well, I feel really good about myself because that person is really behaving really badly. I don't behave as bad. And so it fuels this movement of self-righteousness, right? That's one thing that it does. Here's the deal. Jesus... In everything that he did, he condemned that way of thinking. Who did it show up in the most? Where do we see it the most? In the Pharisees, right? And every single time it pops up, that self-righteousness, that I'm keeping the law better than you, right? Every single time that that pops up, Jesus condemns it. He never lets it go. He never turns his back on it. He condemns that thinking over and over and over again in the scripture. The other thing that it does, uh, and this one I think is more subtle, this is the more passive side of what I, what I see sin, uh, wrong thinking on sin doing, is sin becomes a justification for a lack of righteousness in our lives. Here's how it plays out. Um, my life is not, you know, maybe I'm participating in something habitually. Maybe there's something going on in my life. I'm just, there's failure in my Christian life. Let's just call it that. Let's just be generic. And what I hear a lot of times is, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. And it's a good thing I'm saved by grace, but I'm just a sinner. Or we'll, we'll use that statement as a precursor to failure, right? We'll be telling somebody about the work of, of Jesus and righteousness, and we'll go, but it's okay, everybody messes up, we're all sinners, right? We, you ever heard that before or said that before? I, I hear that all the time, say it all the time, right? And, and that's a more uh, passive uh, way of understanding sin, but what does it do? It undermines the work of the cross, doesn't it? I'm still a sinner. Well, wait a minute. What happened on the cross then? Well, if Jesus rescued us from sin, then where does that statement come from? And, and how does that line up with this, uh, this idea that Jesus said, well, now you're holy. Now you're righteous. Not, any just, not just any righteousness, not man's right, but mine. Right? That you're purified. That my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That I've been washed pure by the blood of the lamb. Not just, I haven't been saved by just some trinkets of the earth, as Peter tells, but I've been saved by the precious blood of Christ. How does that reflect? Well, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to screw up, right? That's the more passive way I see it used, but both of those are misunderstandings of what sin is. So what we got to do is we've got to figure out what is the biblical viewpoint um, of sin. The tricky part, I think, about understanding sin is, is part of it is in language, Okay. So sin, in, in, we see sin in our English uh, Bible, and it can mean um, a few different things, okay? It can be used in a few different contexts. I'm going to try and uh, explain those quickly without just getting into uh, just total detail, but, I, but I'm going to try to get us to understand uh, the two ways that it's, uh, that it's used and also give us maybe a better understanding um, of, of what it means in its original language. So, here we go. This is, the, this is the fun stuff. Who likes learning language stuff about the Bible? 
Some of you are like, let's move on quick. Just get to the punchline. And some of you are like, ooh, language, right? Okay. So uh, my wife loves it. She's a uh, linguistics person, so she loves it. Um, so the Greek word for sin, you ready? Is hamartano, okay? H-A-M-A-R-T-A-N-O, okay? And here's what it means. It does not mean doing bad things. In the Greek, it means to miss the mark. Okay? So, in the, in the Bible, when we read the word sin in the Greek, what it means is to miss the mark. Now, if we're thinking about sin in light of human vocation, let's put those two, before we just dive in too deep, let's put those two things together. If sin is to miss the mark, and the mark is what? The royal priesthood, like it's to be stewards of the earth. It's to reflect worship back to God and to reflect his wisdom and justice into the earth. If that's the mark, let's call that the mark, okay? That's the design. Sin is to miss that mark, okay? That's one of the ways that the Bible uses when it says to miss the mark. It's one of the ways that it, that it, uh, that it does that is it means like this is what you were supposed to do. This is what you were built for, and that's not happening, okay? Sin is missing that mark of righteousness, okay? The other way that, uh, that sin is used, and I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but the other way that sin is used is to denote a demonic power, okay? Don't get uncomfortable, okay? C.S. Lewis, and I'm going I'm to butcher this quote, but C.S. Lewis, when he, when he was talking about the screw tape letters, I don't know if you ever heard of that book, uh, but, but it's, this, it's this dialogue between, uh, uh, between demons is the way he wrote it from the perspective of, uh, of the demonic, and basically, when people were asking about what you know, why are we, uh, why are we doing this? Why are we talking about that? He said basically that uh, the, the make, mistake we make about devils is that we ignore them or we give them too much credit. But we do one of those, we make one of those two mistakes that we ignore them or we give them too much credit. The Bible is adamant about there being spiritual forces of darkness. We're told that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. It's not talking about bad people, okay? We're talking about spiritual things, the unseen, right? Remember that the unseen existed before the seen, right? The unseen is what breathed the seen into existence. God was before we were, and therefore the unseen has rule and power and dominion over what is seen and what is created. There are spiritual powers of wickedness, and the Bible is adamant about us understanding how those things are connected and intertwined into the world that we live in. The experience that we're having is an experience that includes a spiritual experience that can be good or bad. You ever read the news and just gone, man, that is so more, that's way more wacky than just human beings being foolish. Anybody? Like you read stuff that happens and you're just like, there's, even in human stupidity, that can't exist. Right? You just notice there's just this unbelievable amount of hatred. And it's like, that's not, that's not just people not getting along. There's something fueling that that's deeper, that's worse. Uh, and and uh, so we have to be very aware uh, of it. And so the Bible will refer to sin as a dark and evil power. Okay? A spiritual force of wickedness, the Bible will call, uh, will call sin as well. So those are the two primary uses. So to miss the mark is what it means in, in Greek when it's referring to us, missing that human vocation. And then also to refer to a power and a strength of wickedness. Okay, good. 
All right. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I know that because the Bible uses the same, in the English, we see the same word. It can be a little confusing, but uh, hopefully with that uh, set, we'll be able to straighten it out a little bit. Okay, I want to just read you this again. Just to clarify, when we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to talk about both, but I want to start just with remembering the royal priesthood. So 1 Peter, just as a reference, if you're a note taker, we went over this in detail last week. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 is where you can read about us being defined as a royal priesthood. So if you want to just go back later, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. I'm going to move through that because we talked about it a few weeks ago uh, and go back to this verse that I think uh, fills that royal priesthood out. Okay, so here we go. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Sorry, I lost my spot. There we go. We implore you on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you need to soak that in for a little bit. I know we talked about it two weeks ago. I know we talked about the royal priesthood. I want you to soak that in for just a little bit. That that is the design, okay? And this verse, I think more clearly than, than, than any other place, talks about the design of, and the, the, uh, of human vocation, who we're supposed to be in uh, relationship to the cross. So do you see in this passage how the work that Jesus did on the cross was a restoring of proper human vocation, was a, was a setting us free in order to step back into God's intended use for creation, okay? He is making his appeal through us. So it says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. There's where we see that talking about sin. And entrusting to us, you see how it's that uh, dealing with sin is in relationship to the work that God is giving us? He's dealing with sin to hand to us who we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus. So, he's not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay. So let's, let's, let's try to tie these two things together. If that is our proper human vocation, and we know that sin is missing that mark, and sin is also a force of evil, how do we sum up the, the human vocation? It is an act of what? It starts with a W. We talked about it two weeks ago. It's worship. You've heard it probably in church before that we were created to worship. You ever heard that before? You've been created to worship. And have you ever, ever wondered what in the world that means? Have you ever just kind of thought, does that mean I'm supposed to just sing all the time? <laughs> like, 
we've kind of left that a little bit ambiguous. I think in a lot of ways, our, our, our uh, teaching and preaching process has really failed to connect us to the practical reality of what it means to be created to worship. But being created to worship is tied to who God has created us to be as this royal priesthood. The, 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 the priests uh, in the tabernacle and the temple would be providing sacrifice. And that sacrifice for, was for what purpose? It was for worship. Right? It was for purification. It was for worship. It was to come before the presence, uh, the presence of God in order to worship. And it's an act of worship as we submit to the authority of God and, and, uh, and reflect His wisdom and His justice into the world. It takes submission and it takes worship in order to do that. So the royal priesthood is about worship. So to, for sin to meet the mark is a failure to worship. And it's a failure to worship because of a submission to another power. These two ideas come uh, on a collision course. They collide together. The idea of sin missing the mark is to fail to worship. It's to fail to fulfill vocation. And it's due to the submission of the human will of the human being to a power that is not God. To submit myself to a power that is not God is to fail to worship God because to submit myself to another power is to therefore worship that power. And guess what? There's two categories, okay? There's two categories that that you can put everything into. There is creator and there is created. Everything falls into one of those two categories. And I can either submit myself to creator God, and because he sits alone in that category, if I submit myself to any other thing, I have what? I have submitted myself to another power and a power that is part of creation. You see it? And a submission to creation is a failure to worship God. This is the whole idea of sin. When we just say that sin is, I went out drinking last weekend. Or sin is, uh, I looked at porn. Or sin is, I did this, this, and that, whatever. We have minimalized the, the idea, the biblical concept of sin so much to the point that we're just talking about it in terms of behavior. And to change your behavior, look at me, you do not need the cross. There's all sorts of self-help books that can get you to act differently. If we have reduced the gospel all the way down to you need to behave really, really, really good because at the end of that there's a reward, it's called heaven then we have totally missed the entirety of the love of God compelling him to place himself on a cross, pour out his blood and die to remove that power that is over our lives and establish us back into the royal priesthood. We've missed all of that. And that story is way more fun than behave really, 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 really good until you die. And then there's this heaven thing, right? And we dress that up, don't we? We dress that up really nice. But at the end of the day, my fear is that we, because we understand sin as a failure to behave well, that's going to result in a total miss of what the cross is, of the love of God that compelled him to that action, as well as who we are in light of being freed from sin. 
If sin is too small, those are all the repercussions of thinking of sin too small. So, again, I'm going to just kind of recap. What, it, what is sin? It's a missing of the mark, right? It's a missing of the mark. It's a failure to be the royal priesthood. It's a failure to step into my human vocation. Why? Because I've submitted myself to a being that is creation, to sin, to a power that is part of creation. I have served creation rather than the creator. I have submitted my worship elsewhere. Sin is a failure of worship because of a submission to a spiritual power of darkness. Sin is not the breaking of the rules. All right? And we we talk about, how many of you have heard death and sin in the same conversation? Right? The Roman road. Where do you hear it all the time? The wages of sin is death. Have you ever stopped and said, why? Because here's another dangerous thing that we've done, and I want to try to correct this real quick. What we've done is we've said the wages of sin is death, and in my mind what I'm saying is I've behaved badly, God's angry, and he's going to kill me because of my bad behavior. And the good news is that Jesus never behaved bad, and so he stepped in, and now I get, if I believe in him, kind of like we say it, kind of like Santa Claus, if I believe in him, then I'm going to get his good behavior. God won't be mad at me anymore, and I get to go to heaven when I die. Now, look at me. I'm being a little silly with that, okay? We dress it up a whole lot nicer, but that's what we're saying. Y'all tracking? And the reality is, that's like tip of the iceberg of what actually happened, and some of that's not even true. So, let's look at how this works, okay? So, sin is not the breaking of the rules, and death is not God's divine punishment for everybody who broke the rules, okay? I know, if look, look, look at me, look at me. If you're uncomfortable, it's okay, okay? It's okay. I know I'm pushing against maybe some things that we've kind of just traditionally said, I'm just saying, let's, let's reflect a little bit. Let's look at what's in, this, in, in the scriptures, okay? You're free to disagree. Genesis 3. I want to show you how, how it plays out. Because what I'm not, I, what I am saying is sin and death are linked. But I want to show you why the wages of sin is death. We need to understand that. Okay? Remember, you got in your brain kind of the combination of sin, missing the mark and surrender of power. Y'all got that in your mind? Because you need to see that. I want to show you those things in this story. Okay? So everybody good? Not if you've got those things in your mind. If you're nodding and yawning at the same time, I'll do, at least you're like half there. Good? Okay. All right. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3 in, in the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Let's, let's go ahead and give a category here. Creator or created? The serpent. Created. Good. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is just side note. We talk about this question a lot when it comes to spiritual warfare and the tactics of the enemy. Did God actually say is going to be the beginning of almost every sentence out of the enemy's mouth. Okay, Wants to create a question. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, if we could go back, and this is not the point of the message today, but if we go back, we'll find that's not even what God actually said. The question created a, a, a question in her, and uh, she did not stand on what God had actually said. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, look at verse 6. So when the woman, what? Saw. Now what's she living by? What she sees. Where's sight? It's in the five senses, isn't it? She's trusting her humanity. Right? Understand this. She's spiritual in capacity. She has a relationship with God. She's now being led by her humanity. Okay? She saw and evaluated. How many of us really screw up when that is the story? I saw, tasted, touched, thought, whatever, evaluated, produced action. Okay? Anyway, just, just a note. So when the woman saw that the tree, this is verse 6, was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. I also like to insert here coward, because it says who was with her, punk. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, how many of you have heard this story before? Okay. Nods are like, I don't know. This is one of those he asks a question. Are we supposed to raise our hand? Sometimes he does that, and then he keeps talking. I don't know. What happened? What did the serpent convince them of? He convinced them to give themselves over to the idolatry of themselves. What did they see? They saw that the tree was good and evil, and they were seduced by the idea that the knowledge of good and evil will make me, here's the catch, like God. There's a few things here. Number one is the question, is knowledge of good and evil bad? Is knowledge in and of itself a bad thing? What do you think? No. And all the teachers said, amen. Knowledge is not a bad thing, but knowledge is not life. Knowledge was never intended to lead the human being in the vocation of being a royal priesthood. We were never intended to stand in the place of the power of knowledge and do what God had asked us to do. We were intended to stand in the position of worship in order to fulfill our vocation. Knowledge of good, knowledge of good and evil, knowledge in and of itself can come and, and be a supplement and be something wonderful that God has created. God created it and put it in the garden. Knowledge is not a bad thing, but knowledge is not the position from which we are to be the royal priesthood. You with me? And what they did was they saw what they could be. They saw that their eyes could be open. They saw the knowledge of good and evil, and they said, that looks good, and I can be like God. They took it, and they ate. What happens there? Number one is they missed the mark. You with me? They take and eat and they miss the mark of being the royal priesthood. Why? It was a failure of worship. Because what, it, what had God asked them to do? Not eat. Don't eat. To not eat is a submission to who? God. You with me? 
It's obedience and submission and obedience to God who is good is worship. To trust that what he says is good for me and and to live in accordance with that, to submit myself to him is worship. And what did they submit themselves to? They took their power that had been submitted to God. They took that submission that had been submitted to God. And who did they submit it to? Sin. That power of evil that whispered and said, don't you want to be like God? Aren't, aren't you splendid? Don't you want your eyes to be open? They submitted themselves to creation and therefore missed the mark. This is what happened in the garden and this is what plagues us today. It's not just us behaving badly. It's us failing to worship and not just in apathy, but by a submission of our heart and our will, not to God, but to things created. And you know what it leads to? Here it is. Death. Death and sin are intertwined because death is the consequence of a failure to worship, not the result of an angry God looking to deal out punishment. Is God perfectly righteous? Is he perfectly just? Yes and yes. But death comes because we've become slaves to sin. What did Jesus say? I have come that you would have life and have it Fully, abundantly. What had God given Adam and Eve? Life. And when they made that substitute, when they submitted themselves to sin, slavery and death became the consequence. Slaves to creation and death as a result. Right? Y'all tracking? That is, that problem is what was dealt with on the cross. That issue, that failure of vocation, and that slavery to the power of sin and evil that we willingly stepped into, that is what Jesus dealt with on the cross. That is what he meant when he said, it is finished. It was an overcoming. It was a defeating. It was a setting free. It was an exodus from the grip of slavery and death over the human race. You with me? Anybody else get the, get the goosebumps there? Come on. If you read the New Testament, if you read Paul's letters, you'll see over and over and over again that he talks about us being slaves to sin, slaves to our passions, slaves to our lust that produces death. You ever try to chase something that is from creation in order to gain satisfaction in your life? Let's be honest. Are you human? Okay, right? We've all done that. We've all pursued creation thinking that it can fill me, thinking that it can give me something. And it ends up devastating. It ends up kind of like what? Death. Anybody ever been in that cycle though where you keep chasing it? You keep thinking, well, maybe this didn't work, so I put this relationship down and come after this one. Or, or Or I put this bottle down and come after this. Or, you know, it's like, okay, classic, you know, church. We're going to talk about drugs and sex, right? Okay, something else. 
What about your studies? You ever come after those thinking that being smarter and gaining achievements is going to do something, going to move the needle for you, and it doesn't? And it's like, okay, maybe then if I, if I will get a better grade, maybe if I'll be better, maybe if, I, maybe if I'll succeed in this way, it'll move the needle for me. And it doesn't, but what do you do? You come after something else. What's that mean? A slave. Because that's insane, right? And well, how do we define insanity? It's doing the same thing, expecting different results, <laughs> We just trade one portion of creation for the next. We just substitute them over and over and over again, thinking that if I just change the scenery, then there will be life. And it never happens because you're enslaved to this idea that there's something that has been created that can fill me, that can give me life. And that is a broken mentality. It's a failure of worship. But listen, the gospel is that you can be free of that. That's the good news of the cross is that you don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to submit to this evil power that is crushing you with this lie that you can be something by serving creation. You don't have to to live there anymore. Christ has died to defeat that power. That in him you can be more than what? What does the scripture say? Starts with an O. Come on. Overcomers. Y'all with me? You don't have to be a slave. You can be free. That's the offer of the cross. When Jesus says, it is finished, he means something entirely different than you don't have to fail in your behavior anymore. Okay, we got we to gotta move on. Okay. Go to John 19. I want to show you that place. Y'all still smiling? Woohoo! The Bible calls this good news. <laughs> Okay, real quick, and I'm done, okay? Because there's some, there's some wording in the scripture I want you to see, okay? It's gonna be, we're going to be fast, okay? John 19, verse 28. Now, this is not on your, on your screen. Who's back there? Don't panic. It's not on there. <laughs> hey, Chris. Doesn't Chris do a great job? Don't y'all love Chris Barton? I do too, man. He's just a great guy. Okay. 19, y'all ready? Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, parentheses, to what? Yeah, okay, so there's something there. To fulfill the scripture. So after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar uh, full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. All of this was to fulfill Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians. This is the teaser for next week. That's a really interesting phrase, to fulfill the Scriptures. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, look, verse 1. Y'all, I'm sorry, I hear pages. I'll give you a minute. I'm just excited. Are y'all excited? Sort of, all right. Okay, here we go. You were great a minute ago. What happened? I'm teasing y'all. Verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our 
don't stop, in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, there's a breadcrumb there. <laughs> Christ died for our sins. Is that a, do we agree with that idea? You're going to get kicked out of here? Come on. Yes, that's a good one. You agree with that one, okay? Yeah, he died for our sins, but there's the tag, and it's important that we see this, in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus, to fulfill the scriptures. So all of this has been talked about before. All of this has been spoken. We, ought to, we now should see this coming. To understand this idea, Christ died for our sin, we ought to be able to connect that back to something that is spoken in the scripture. You with me? Have you ever started a novel and just opened the book in the middle and tried to figure out what was going on? How impossible would that be? Pretty impossible. Unless it's like the books we read at our house, which are like kids' books. It's pretty easy to figure it out. Like Winnie the Pooh, He Wants Honey at some point, and so here we go, right? I can, I can pick it up. But if you tried something else, something a little more complex, you'd be lost. Right? If we just read, if we just say, and here's one part of our problem with misunderstanding sin, we just say Christ died for our sin. And we all go, yeah. But when I say, okay, well, in accordance with Scripture, so explain that. We go, oh, well, he died for our sin. And God probably said that before. Right? This thing, this story fills out a whole lot more when we read in accordance with the Scriptures. And the New Testament writers would, would, would look at what happened on the cross and go, this connects to what has already been said. And to understand the present events, they would say things like, in accordance with the scriptures. Y'all tracking? Okay, bow your head, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the time that we've been able to spend here. And we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would not lean on human understanding, but that we would trust you for the truth that you are revealing uh, to us. God, we are so grateful for the gospel. We are so grateful that what you've done is bigger than just setting us free from bad behavior, but that you have set us free from death, that you have set us free from slavery, that you have given us life. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, I've gone a little bit past my time, so uh, get up, stand up, and move out. Right? You're dismissed, not released. See ya.